this is me. This is how I win. This is episode 58 of They're All Going to Laugh at Him. I'm Alex Sprague. And I'm Jess Geyer. Alex, what movie did we watch today? The unfaceted gemstones. Um, um, what it is? Faceted gemstones. Um, it's uncut gems. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not really a joke there that works. No. So I just said something dumb. Opals in the rough. Uh, yeah, uncut gems. This is one of the only movies of Adam Sandler's that I've seen in theaters. Same. So I, I know that I saw I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry in theaters, and I saw You Don't Mess With the Zohan in theaters. I saw Zohan in theaters, and I legitimately think that's the only Adam Sandler movie, other than Uncut Gems, I've ever seen in theaters. Yeah. I remember when we were in the movies, um, there weren't a lot of people in the theater with us, I don't think, when we were watching No, Uncut it was Gems. about half-filled. Um, it was storming. We, we drove right. back home on a sheet of ice, and it was not great. Yeah, and we were howling with laughter yeah, during I that first watch. More. It, so... There's a very uncomfortable energy in this movie. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of anxiety. And I laugh when things are anxious to people and stressful situations. I, I'm not phased by them very well. Not like I can't handle stress. I handle stress in an extremely good-mannered way to the point that it upsets people. Um, I was once written up for being uh, dangerously nonchalant. <laughs> which, I don't know how you can be nonchalant in an arts and crafts store. I mean, like, Just, you know, or how that's ever a bad thing. Not cutting fabric to the correct centimeter. I don't know which spray paint I want. I'm sure we can figure it out. It's going to be okay. <laughs> um, it's Yeah, I laugh during nervous, like, times of anxiety as well. Um, I laugh a lot during horror movies when scary shit's about to happen. Yeah. But there are also some legitimately funny moments in this movie. You, but it's not a comedy, for sure. If you haven't seen the movie, don't listen to this episode. Like, really. You yeah. want to go You want to go watch it. You want to be fresh. You want to... It's on Netflix. Go watch it. And I, I will say, if you have seen it, you don't need to go rewatch it. No. Um, but first, why are we making a podcast, Jess? You know, it's so strange. The... Do, do you have something? The... No. <laughs> I, I, I just, I was trying to get some nervous energy in here by ma- asking you the question. I would have never asked. I would have found something in a second. Look up the Diamond Sutra and quote from that or something. Well, the quote you wanted was, "Why do you always have to try and save me? I can handle it on my own." Yeah, I admit I've been beaten before, but I won't always be on the receiving end. You hear that? You understand? Was that something from Kevin Garnett? That's something from Akira. Oh. Um, and I, I meant to end it with, uh, you understand that Adam Sandler doesn't deserve all the hate. There's only two more movies, so we're, I'm, I'm positive on them. It's I'm good. positive, too. Wrong Missy's going to be up to pretty fucking bad for me to be like, nope, never mind. Yeah, um, and I mean, considering that several of his most recent movies, The Meyerowitz Stories, um, I like The Do-Over, too. Yeah. Um, the Week the of. of. Those, the Week of and The Meyerowitz Stories were great. Mm-hmm. Very art artsy kind of style movie and then this one obviously has received acclaim yeah like a lot of acclaim and so the thing about this movie that is entirely different from every other movie of his other than maybe punch drunk love Mm -hmm. is this is a thematic piece and it is a an art piece basically yeah um you're supposed to understand it's it's a it's a film film about like 
Well, I'm trying to come up with the best way. The plot doesn't quite matter too much. What matters is the fact that we're hitting an intersection of these people's lives that portrays a single strong emotion. And that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. Um, it's very much like a a pinpoint in like a person's life, not a not a story about a person in my mind. Yeah, and there are a lot of similarities, I would say, between this movie and Punch Drunk Love in that, okay, it's not written or directed by Adam Sandler, uh, but he stars in it, and it is very important that he's the star, mm-hmm. uh, that it is purposefully disorienting, um, yeah. and that the music is often overpowering. Yes. Although, of course, in Punch Drunk Love, yeah, the music is like super, it's meant to be disorienting and everything. In this movie, there are moments when the when the music isn't disorienting, but that gem music, that the the opal theme, if mm-hmm. you would call it that, it starts off as that like vaporwave, like like synth synthy trippy yeah. shit, and it can be so discordant, and especially in the beginning, it overpowers the the dialogue. Yeah. So that the actors seem like they're yelling, not to mention they're talking over each other a lot, which is also true in Punch Drunk Love. They mm. talk over each other a lot. Uh, people aren't paying attention to each other. But at the same time, just tonally, those two movies are so, they're worlds apart. And and on that music idea, what, what it reminds me of is, I, w- I would like a wild recut of this done with the music of uh, Beck's Midnight Vultures album. Mm. Because the thing about that album for me is every song has a point in it where the sounds are happening and they're not working and you're like this isn't great and then all of a sudden they mesh together and it becomes like a really fucking good song for a while and that's how the music was played in this um the i actually marked down because i had noticed during our our viewing in the theater before we knew we were going to do stuff like this I knew that the music was important and I had paid attention to it a little bit in the theater. But here mm-hmm. I marked down all the points where the music starts and where the music stops. Nice. I, I was actually interested in that. Um, but yeah, I, I, what's, who, who's the, the feller who did the music? I, I want to point that one out. Um, everyone knows um, uh, the Safdie brothers are the ones who put, are the writers and directors on this. But uh, the music is by Daniel Lopatin, a.k.a. One O Tricks Point Never. That's his, I assume, stage name. Yeah, I'm um, sure. <laughs> that's his birth name. Yeah, uh, it, and that's a... The music is extremely important in this movie. And this movie would have been pretty bad without a very good composer. Yeah. And the reason I started or that bit with an Akira quote is some of the music in it is a uh, basically redone version of Canada's theme. Canada. Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, Canada. Canada. Canada, yeah, um, which is kind of interesting. I'm not sure if it's just because musically that kind of futuristic Neo Tokyo tone worked well, or if it's because he thought of something in the character himself. Yeah, you know, I was I was trying to. It's been a while since I've seen Akira, mm-hmm. and I was trying to think if there were any connection there. I don't really see too much because it is like so much different of a genre. Although yeah. it does deal with gangs, um, and this movie in a way kind of deals with like that mobbish mentality. Well, in my mind, what happens in the the equivalency is what gets them to that point is the the greed of the situation turns yes. things into a a very bad situation. Yeah, 
how that is represented. So I think there's a little bit of that thematic string. But yeah, I, I, I think the reason they do it is because it hits a certain emotional cue. Um, and it does it without you knowing Akira. Um, and that's what's important is that they get this emotional bit right for the movie because that's what the movie's about. No one really cares, I think, about what happened at the end. Did X happen afterwards or did Y happen afterwards? Uh, if you left the movie asking that question, I think kind of like, yeah, miss the point maybe. But I think we're going to do a little bit of that. Actually, I don't think I have any questions about the plot. I think more what different uh thematic elements and emotional elements they put in to get this heightened anxiety right and um this idea of addiction i guess yeah um this like not it's not it's not a downward spiral it is a no an ascension a mounting tension throughout yeah one of the things that really struck me on the second view of the movie is everything happening in the movie is not new it is exactly the same as it's always been this is always what this these people do and it's just finally where someone else gets involved in it and kind of fucks up the gears yeah um but yeah real quick i laughed 15 times during this movie the first time i saw it i must have laughed twice as many oh, times oh we were laughing so hard um we got so many weird looks yeah people hated me for that one i was i was really going at it the the holy shit i'm gonna come yeah. I, I fucking lost it in the theater it's so funny. i didn't even laugh this this playthrough so I also remember cracking up at the scene where he's hiding in the closet texting Julia. Yeah. I remember like I was laughing so hard at that. Mm-hmm. I didn't laugh at that during I might have Googled one time. It's a one star Sand Layer film. Uh the Safety Brothers wrote it and uh produced it. But it's a hard one star because they for like seven years, seven, eight years, tried to get Adam Sandler to star in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um they thought about a few other people but kept going back to Adam Sandler. Yeah, they um, thought about Leonardo DiCaprio at one point. And I gotta say, Alex, I think that if Leonardo DiCaprio had starred in it, it would have been the worst movie, but he would have won an Oscar for it. Oh, yeah. Adam Sandler was robbed. Yeah. So the one thing that we have to say about like what we've learned about Adam Sandler from this movie, all we can say is his acting chops and how everyone, like, there's no one saying that Adam Sandler is not a, bad, not a good actor after watching this movie. Yeah. He won, like, I'm looking at his list of awards... He won, like, Best Actor in so many different, like, mm-hmm. awards. And, like, how can you say now that Adam Sandler is a shit actor? I mean, he's well, shown that he's a good actor over and over again. The thing is, now people are saying, this makes it even worse than his other movies. He's not trying. Uh-huh. Um, thinking that he's not trying. Um, I, don't, I don't, I haven't seen a performance where he doesn't try. He hasn't put out a Joe Dirt 2. No. Um yeah, um, there, there's people who who said uh, Adam Sandler's character seems unrealistic or is over the top or blah, blah, blah. And I'm it's like, his persona. Well, yeah, as you say, have you met someone who's over the top in real life or someone who's addicted to gambling or someone who is like a fast talking asshole? Yeah. Because like, meet my family. You won't <laughs> think it's over the top. What do you think this movie got as far as critical and audience response. See, this one, deservedly so, I think got some high ratings. So I think it's probably like a 95% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. And I think probably like 80% of audience liked it. 92 for critics. Um, they, they liked it quite a bit. Um, the negative reviews aren't basically what you'd expect. 
anxiety ran too high. Um, but audience gave it a 52%. Interesting. Divisive. Yeah. Um, which is because this isn't an art film. Yeah. It is. Um, and also, the main theme of the movie is anxiety. Yeah. This movie is made to make the people watching it feel anxious. And if you did not know that, it is not fun to watch. Um, but let's read uh, this one negative review. Oh, I'm very excited to hear this. Uh, this is a critical one. In some quarters, this has been declared some sort of minor masterpiece. Masterpiece. Me, I'd say it's hard to imagine a more uncomfortable way of spending over two hours in the cinema and advise you to avoid it. Shock ending and all. Well, Give me a one out of five, too. That acerbic, abusive, and abrasive script in which almost everyone is aggressive and annoying can drive a viewer to distraction. Uncut Gems diminishes one of the richest comic sensibilities in modern cinema. It turns Sandler the smartass who always chooses family and friendship over streetwise selfishness into an icon of grungy nihilism. That one's interesting. They're mad because this is a different film than what Adam Sandler usually does? Is that what they're saying? It's it's the idea that to not choose family and friendship is bad for Sandler. Maybe the movie, it was a great casting choice because you're expecting him to be a better person. He's yeah. like, he is the opposite of basically all of his characters in this one. Yeah. Um, While at the same time, he still does the Adam Sandler voice that everyone complains about. He doesn't do that. that he voice. does a he, his normal speaking voice. <laughs> people think is a voice is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, what people say, basically, I've, I've been looking at it for a while. The annoying voice that people don't like is a Jewish accent. Yeah. So, that, that is what yeah. people complain about. A New York. It, it is. Yeah. Predominantly just a Jewish yes. accent. It's not necessarily New York. Yeah. He also... He's not from New York. Yeah, sure. But, it. I mean, he's obviously putting on a voice for this one. I said that he was doing, like, a Peter Dante. And it sounds just like Peter Dante. After, like, I would never have noticed that before we started doing this podcast. Mm-hmm. But now that I know exactly what Peter Dante sounds like, if you listen to him in the beginning when he's talking, like, anytime he's in his shop, like, bullshitting people... He does a Peter Dante. Yeah, and I have a feeling that that's because Peter Dante is probably his most outwardly charismatic friend. Yeah, I think so. He, to prepare for this movie, he spent a bunch of time near gambling addicts and also in the jewelry district, uh, 47th Diamond Street. Diamond District. Diamond District, sorry. And definitely got down those behaviors and the feelings and the yeah the thing for it. But uh, he's definitely, though, the voice uh, trying to be charming. Definitely, and, but his his per, the person he is is uh, deeply uncharming, um, shrill, monotonous, the usual half baked phony Scorsese wannabe nonsense from the overrated Safety brothers. I also think Scorsese sucks, but whatever. Yeah, I like Scorsese. <laughs> you want to recap the movie? Yeah, I do want to recap the movie. So the movie starts in Ethiopia at a mine, and using the cover of an injury, well, a person's actually injured in the mine. Two Ethiopian miners chisel out a black opal. And we are treated to a view inside the opal, um, like a microscopic view. Um, and then through the colon of Howard Ratner, who is played by Adam Sandler, uh, who is currently undergoing a colonoscopy. Uh, Howard owns a jewelry store in the Diamond District, and he has creditors after him, uh, sent by a man named Arno. And these creditors rough him up at his store a little bit. He then goes to his apartment where his girlfriend, Julia, also lives. She shows him pictures of the weekend. Um, She works at Howard's store, too. Julia is played by Julia Fox. And 
it is hinted that she must have sold a Furby necklace to him or something because he's seen in pictures wearing a Furby necklace. Anyway, she shows him pictures of the weekend, mentions that he's going to have a show in town soon, and uh, then Howard pawns off a piece of jewelry of Michael Jackson on a cross saying that it belongs to the weekend. Kevin Garnett then shows up at his jewelry store, and his guys have slapped Arno's goons around. Uh, Damani, Damani's played by uh, Lakeith Stanfield. Uh, Damani, uh, his job is to like bring customers to the store. He tries to sell Kevin Garnett a watch, but Howard shoots him away and saying that they don't sell those watches. And while Kevin Garnett is there, a package arrives and Howard gets extremely excited and he opens it in his office. There's a fish. He starts cutting into the fish while ignoring one of his employees as that employee complains about the ill treatment from Arno's goons. And inside the fish is the opal from the beginning of the movie. Howard has bought it. Howard takes it out to show Garnett, who looks inside through through, um, Howard's loop. And we see a similar scene as the beginning where he looks into the opal and we can like see the, the colors of the opal and everything. But he also sees flashes of the miners and of himself. And of course, um, like the gem stuff. Uh, Kevin Garnett then smashes through the glass he was leaning on. And he says that this was a sign that he needs the opal. Um, but Howard doesn't want to sell it to him because it's going up for auction. So Garnett just asks to hold it just for his game that night. And he gives Howard his Celtics championship ring for collateral. So Howard takes a picture, he shows his kid uh, the ring, and then immediately pawns it and and spends the money on a bet on Kevin Garnett's game. And then he goes home, he's watching the, uh, he goes to his actual house uh, and watches the game. And we see that he has a wife, played by Adina Menzel, the character's name is Dina. And uh, we learn they're waiting until Passover to announce their upcoming divorce. The game goes well and he wins the bet. He goes to his apartment to celebrate with his girlfriend. On the day he's supposed to get the gem to the auction house to get it appraised and they get pictures of it, Damani doesn't come back with the opal and he says that Garnett still has it. So they drive to Philly together and Damani leaves him while going into the locker room and Howard's not let in. Uh, Damani doesn't answer his phone anymore. So Howard has to go home. He goes to his daughter's school play uh, where his daughter plays a character who is gifted slash cursed with um, coins falling out of her mouth. Every time she speaks. Anyway, he sees Arno's goons there before the play starts. And he talks to them out in the hallway, then shoves one of them, uh, bites one of them, and runs. But is caught outside and roughed up in Arno's car. Arno says that he canceled the bet that Howard made, essentially screwing him out of the money. And then they strip him naked and put him in his own trunk. I do want to point out, uh, Howard would have won the bet. Yes, he would have won the bet. He, yeah, he, he was set to make like 200 something thousand dollars off of it. That was the one that was six-way parlay? Yes, about 200000 Yeah. Uh, so he's stuck naked in his trunk, and he texts his wife to get him out. Uh, and Dina comes out, doesn't say anything when he sees when she sees him in there, just looks kind of disgusted, as if this is not something that super surprises her, and goes back in to uh, watch the play. Uh, finally, Damani answers the phone and says that he has the opal, and Howard tells him to meet him at the weekend show. Uh, but Damani turns out to not actually have it, that Kevin Garnett still does. Um, Howard catches Julia in the bathroom with The Weeknd, and he and The Weeknd get into a fight, and he and Julia are kicked out of the club, and Howard leaves without her and says that he wants her out of his apartment, while Julia insists that they were just doing coke. Although we do get to see scenes where, like, The Weeknd says that he wants to have sex with her. They weren't just doing coke. They weren't just doing coke. 
they were not necessarily having sex or anything, but they weren't just doing coke. Yes. Uh, so finally, Kevin Garnett shows back up at the office with the Opal, and he and Damati and some other guys, they get stuck in what I just keep calling the antechamber. They have a, like a two-way buzzer system to you know prevent robberies and things like that, uh, where you have to buzz to get in through one door and then buzz to get through another. Um, so there's a small room in between those two doors that's just bulletproof glass. And they get stuck in there for a little bit, um, and they have to, like, use some metal shavings and a screwdriver to get them out. Um, Kevin Garnett offers $175,000 for the Opal, but Howard says no, because he thinks that the Opal is actually worth over a million dollars. And then he's going to give that money to the auction. Uh, and he has to get it to the auctioneer right away. Um, Damani also quits and takes his watches, but there are only three in the safe, because Howard has been giving them to people to help pay off some of his debts. Um, Aussie had one stolen from him uh, in Arno's car. Damani pours red Powerade into Howard's fish tank. So they have to scoop out all the fish. And Howard gets the gem to the auction house just in time for it to actually be displayed and auctioned. Maggie's going to be really happy with me because I'm going to pronounce it correctly. At their Passover Seder, we learn that Arno is actually Howard's non-Jewish brother-in-law. I thought he was supposed to also be Jewish. No, I, I got the distinct impression that they were mad because he is not Jewish. See, I found it, it's disrespectful to say happy holidays when you're going to Passover. It's not another holiday. It's only Passover. Yeah. And so, that's not something that he would have said had he been like raised Jewish. I, I thought he was being a dick on purpose. I thought he didn't like the family. No, I think, I think he's just like ignorant. Anyway, Howard tries at um, at Passover uh, to get back with his wife now that she's now that he's broken up with his girlfriend, and she laughs in his face. Uh, on their way home, they stop at the apartment because he's going to check to make sure that Julia is out, and his kid has to poop, so his oldest kid comes in, uh, his oldest uh, son comes in with him. Howard makes his son use his neighbor's bathroom because he doesn't know if Julia is actually gone. And she is. She's left a note. She's taken all of her stuff. And she also left the radio on. Madonna's rain is playing very loudly. Uh, but his neighbor told his son anyway about the, quote, hot chick who lives there. And uh, Howard says, don't mention it to anybody. At the auction house, uh, Howard finds out that his opal has been appraised for a lowball price. He gets his friend, or is it his relative, Gooey? Gooey is his father, or father-in-law. Okay. I think it's his father, though. He gets Gooey to try to up KJ, uh, KG's bid, uh, but it backfires, and Gooey gets the gem. He pays, like, 190000 for it. Uh, Howard promises to pay him back, and he gets the black opal back from Gooey. Arno's goons rough him up again, and he goes back to his office... Crying and bleeding. Um, he's thrown into a fountain at this point. And he's like, God, he gets punched in the throat. He gets punched in the nose. He's crying. He's bleeding. He's bruised. He goes into his office. Julia sends everybody home and then comforts him and shows off a tattoo that she's gotten of his name. He sends everyone home through the other girl who works there, including Julia. Julia doesn't leave, though. Okay. They kind of make up. And then Car Kevin Garnett comes around again, and he buys the gem um, for $175,000, like he previously offered. And then after he makes the deal, he asks Howard how much it was for him to buy it. And Howard tells him that it was $100,000. So Kevin Garnett says, like, oh, 
So you bought something for $100,000 that you thought we were going to make a million dollars off of. You basically scammed these poor Ethiopian miners out of money. And Howard makes the excuse that the $100,000 is like 50 lifetimes of money for them. And then he starts talking about how he and Kevin Garnett are the same, that this is how they win. And he starts talking basketball. And I love this scene because he's like, his intensity is growing when he's talking about basketball and he starts getting specific about scores. And then he starts writing down bet. Um, Kevin Garnett leaves and Arnold's guys are there. Uh, but Howard texts Julia. Now that he has the money, he texts Julia to meet him through the window of the next room. And he passes her the money and the betting slip, telling her that she's going to take a helicopter to a casino called Mohegan Sun to place a bet. Arno's goons come in and hold Howard out the window to get him to say where the money went, where Julia went. Uh, but they find out where Julia is going anyway, and they send someone to go get her. But they themselves, so Arno, his goon Phil, and the other guy who I don't think ever gets named, they end up getting stuck in that little antechamber. And Howard doesn't buzz them out. He doesn't try to help him out, obviously. Uh, and he calls his wife to tell her to go to his her, her sister's because he thinks that Phil is going to send someone to their place. Um, so Howard keeps him in the room there uh, until he wins the bet, until the um, until the game is over. Julia has made the bet. She's met this weird guy named Wayne Diamond, who um, like thinks that she's hot um, and kind of helps her out a little bit. And he wins the bet, which is like, over a million dollars worth. But when he buzzes the guys in, Phil immediately shoots him dead. Uh, and then Arno tries to run and Phil shoots him too. And they start sacking the place while they see everyone, um, while we get to see as an audience, everyone celebrating the game, except Dina, who is going to call the cops. She says to her sister, he was, in a, he was naked in a trunk. I'm calling the cops, she says. And the movie ends with the camera moving into Howard's bullet wound like it did through the gem and then through like the atmosphere of the gem and then to a sky of, uh, sky of stars. Roll credits. The end. Yeah, so the plot is actually fairly simple with Adam Sandler is constantly making bets to try to get out of debt, but he could probably get out of debt without it. He has enough capital mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter because betting is fun and it feels good. Yeah, he's addicted uh, to the gambling. Um, they strongly link gambling with sex for Howard. Um, he he talks about having sex whenever he wins a bet um, or places a bet. He, he, or anytime he has something where he's going to take a big risk and get a lot of money. Yes. Because um, when he sees the opal at first, he says, he says I'm going to come. Yeah. yeah. The general theme of addiction is honestly not even that interesting. It's so uh, apparent in this movie. Yeah. Howard Ratner is a gambling addict. Nothing else to that. Mm-hmm. Everything in his life is different gambles. He he treats life like gambling. He uses the pawns as ways to parlay different bets, basically, yeah. in real life. He goes to the auction to gain money, which is a gamble instead of just selling it. Yeah. Because he could easily just sell it to someone. Yeah, he, he could have made just uh, $75,000 easy. Yeah, but it wouldn't have been fun, so it's not worth it. Um, the whole thing is taking bets. It's like, you know risking giving the opal to Kevin Garnett was a way to parlay into getting his ring so he could pawn it to place a bet. Mm-hmm. Um, a few people miss that that was the whole point of that. Well, yeah. That and it sets up later that Kevin Garnett has an interest in the opal and holding on to it. Um, he didn't need to do that and it dug himself fit farther in the hole. But what I find interesting is no one ever values or gains value 
in this movie without the direct hurt from someone else. Yeah. It starts with... A person's leg is broken. Yeah, a person's leg is... It's, like, more than broken. It's, it's like, close. shattered in a mo- gross mind. Um, and people use that uh, as a time to go and smuggle out an opal. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, a mine in general is is yeah, hurt. Horrible. That's hurt. And I think it's really interesting that the foremen of the mine are all Chinese. Yeah. And that's also true for him. Um, there's a lot of Chinese Backing capital us. interest yes. in Africa. Yeah. There's, uh, I mean, there, there's countless times that this happens, though. Um, obviously, everything Howard does hurts someone, mm-hmm. including himself, to try to make money. Uh, Damari is constantly uh, vaguely screwing over Howard to try to make stuff and also is trying to sell fakes out of yeah. Howard's store, which would very much hurt A. I, I can't tell you how much it would cost to have a 47th Street store. But my God, are you spending a lot of money to be on that street? For sure, yeah. Um, and in order to further her career, Julia hurts kind of Howard, but more herself by like allowing herself to be taken advantage by the weekend. Yeah, I think the weekend uh, emotionally abuses her and workers at the place for him to perform and make money. Anyone in working class type stuff is yelled at and demeaned by characters in this movie. Yeah. Um, including Julia, who is the probably lowest tier in this. With that, it, it, there, there's this general theme of, you know, there's no no ethical consumption. But this is like, I think it's like taking it to a new level. Like, it's super greedy what everybody's doing. And and it's not, the money's not the point. The greed is the point. The, the yeah. continuing accumulation of of wealth, like the fact that these are precious stones and and gold, that is the base symbolism for wealth. Yeah, they never work with any items that are actually uh, of value. Diamonds yeah. have some value in like mining and computers and stuff. I guess. Yes, yeah, but they're not rare. Um, they're not. Well, they're not as rare as people make them out to be. And you yeah. can make them in labs now. I, I I do want to say I just said in computers and stuff. It's because I have a friend whose job was to make was trying to make iPhone screens out of diamond that couldn't be scratched. Right. Um. I know they're not normally used in computers and stuff. Don't <laughs> worry. Don't gotcha. Worry. Gotcha. Um. Yeah. I mean, everything in this movie is predicated on luxury. The yeah. Gucci shirts, the steakhouse dinner, the... Um, yeah, they're ordering takeout from a steakhouse that I wouldn't go to because it's way too expensive. Yeah. Uh, um, the car, uh, Howard's car. Um, even Howard's children are starting to take after him and are gambling. Mm-hmm. Um, they they have race car beds. They have flat screen TVs in their bedrooms. Yeah. Um, and basketball dunkers that everyone uh, wanted as a child. Yeah, I mentioned um, back way back when in the Billy Madison episode that the bedrooms of these kids are like Billy Madison's bedroom. And there's only one person who doesn't have interest in money, and it's the the old money, Gooey, mm-hmm. uh, Howard's dad or stepfather. Or I think it's probably father-in-law because yeah. he calls him Gooey. You would call yeah. him dad if he was your dad. Gooey's the coolest name. I'd it is a very right. cool name, yeah. <laughs> and I call my parents by my, their names, so. Yeah. Um. Anyhow... He says, rich is rich, and it doesn't matter. Um, they're all rich. Why Why care about making more money? Um, and then is uncomfortable by taking risk with his money to help mm-hmm. uh, Howard. 
Um, and, and he's the only really focal point for that. Even Dina is at points upset that they aren't going on a scrap extravagant vacation. They have to, in this society, play off, oh, we're not going on a vacation. Why aren't you flying to, what was it, uh, Cancun? Cancun, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, because we're doing something even bigger later. Um, yeah. They can't say, like, because we're not. Fuck off. Yeah. Like, I, I, I do remember those people growing up who, like, oh, where, where are you going for a spring break? I'm like, fucking the woods next to my house. Yeah. What are you talking about? Um, but there's people who live like this. Um, and there's, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, all of the houses, the homes that we see are also super extravagant. The I wouldn't be able to afford the second apartment that Howard has. Yeah. It looked like it was something like $3,500 a month. It was huge. Well, they, they, in the Craigslist ad, it has a uh, um, price. Yeah. I think it was 3500 a month. That's right. Which sounds pretty reasonable for that fucking apartment. I don't really know where it was supposed to be, but that was a crazy apartment. Nice. Not that I could ever afford that, but it looked really nice. Yeah. The- um, all right. More interestingly for me. Obviously, it's about greed. It's about capitalism. Mm -hmm. It's all that stuff. What's Howard about? Because there's three people he represents from my point of view and with evidence in the story. So, yeah, we are going to get really deep into some symbolism here because Mm -hmm. I see several things that you have written down. I know I'm going to start talking about gem superstition here in a minute. I want to start talking about some Steinbeck shit. I'm going to start talking about the book of Exodus. Let's start with what you have. All right. First off, Howard is very reminiscent of the pharaohs. Yes. Um, And I think that they are trying to make this comparison because the center point of the movie is the Passover Seder. Yes. And Passover is, uh, I mean, it's it's from the book of Exodus where um, Moses is trying to free the Jewish slaves from Egypt Pharaoh wouldn't wouldn't release them. He kept calling down like uh, he kept uh, different plagues kept happening to the Egyptians um, until the death of the firstborn sons. And the Passover is literally pass over my house and don't kill my son. Yes, that's what that is. And um, there are references in the movie to the plagues, um, particularly. Mm-hmm. And I I have to give this credit to somebody on on Reddit or Twitter or something because I didn't catch this on my own. When Damani pours the red Powerade into the water, it's like the first plague of Egypt, which was turning the water, the rivers to blood. Yeah. Um, and the reason I say he is Pharaoh is uh, the general idea of what the Pharaohs were doing during this time was getting more and more Jewish slaves to build more and more statues and wealth and such. Yeah. In this, Howard Ratner does profit off slave labor. Mm-hmm. Um whether or not you want to call those mind slave labor, it is, um, and uses it to try to build more and more wealth and greatness for himself. Yeah. He I mean, also, they're, they're literally, though, like he mentions that they're Ethiopian Jews, too. Yes. The parallels are supposed to be obvious to us. Yes. Then he has Daedalus. Uh, or is that the dad or the son? Daedalus is the dad. Icarus yeah. is the son. Because what he does is sets up someone younger than him, Julia, to fly to the sun, and that's what brings his downfall. The Mohegan sun. Yes. And then finally, Howard's Lando Calrissian. Yeah, I'm really confused about this Lando thing. Can you please explain? Google the words Lando Calrissian yellow outfit. Okay, I'm looking at it. The old one there. All right. Mm-hmm. Do you see this one uh, on 
If you go to StarWarsFandom.com, that's the best one, in my opinion, for everyone listening. Right there? Yes. Now, Google Howard Ratner. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's wearing the exact same outfit. That's just the exact same outfit. Yeah. Uh, in this, Howard Ratner dresses up like Lando Calrissian. I, I noticed this the first time we saw it, the movie. Um, and no one else really seems to talk about it, I don't think. Actually, let me double check. No, no, someone someone figured it out. All right, there we go. Cool. I mean, someone else has also mentioned that he's doing a Peter Dante voice, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't think you accidentally dress up like Lando Calrissian, one of the best-dressed men in the Star Wars universe. I cannot stress to you how much it is exactly the same outfit. I told you what to Google. You guys can find it. And Lando Calrissian does a few things. Yeah, he kind of betrays were supposed to be his friends. He was the original owner of the Millennium Falcon and also lost everything he loved because he gambled too much. Yeah. <laughs> Lando Galarizian is like the ultimate uh, gambler, has his Daedalus, uh, and Pharaohs are greed. Um, they're all different aspects of this same character. And like I was trying to say in the beginning, it's because kind of the plot of who Howard Ratner is doesn't matter as much as being a greedy gambling addict matters because it's supposed to bring this emotional thing up front and make you feel the anxiety and get stressed out in the same way in my opinion i think you're about to get into the the myths of gems and stuff what i think the opal means because they say yeah the entire universe is an opal whenever you say it can be anything it means nothing it means it's nothing the opal is just his next thing yeah, it's just a MacGuffin, really. He he has done this hundreds of times. I know it. There's always something that's about to let him break big and do the big thing. And then he could stop if you know all that went well. If he won, he'd be back to do it again later. Yeah. That's all that would happen. Uh, and when he dies, it stops that. That's why we see when he dies instead of him falling back into the loop. None of the things he did started there. It shows... People are already fed up with him by the time he gets there. Everyone on 47th Street knows him, knows what he's up to, lets him do it. But, you know, they're actually making money probably in the long run off him. It's just just yeah. a circle. Okay. Um, I want to get into the, the gemology. Well, it's not gemology. It's gem superstition. Okay. There are three different gems that are mentioned in this movie. There is, of course, the black opal. And red opals. Yeah. But black opal, like, that are actually appear in the movie. Mm-hmm. So there's that. There is Garnet, because of Kevin Garnet. Mm-hmm. Garnet is how he pronounces his name, but it's, they mentioned that it's a Garnet. And Wayne Diamond. And these three gems, when you talk about them together, they have some really interesting symbolism, and I don't think it was an accident. So let's start with the opal. Mm-hmm. So for some, this is straight from Wikipedia, just so you know. <laughs> the opal was considered a stone that could provide great luck because it was believed to possess all the virtues of each gemstone whose color was represented in the color spectrum of the opal. So it is a talisman of good luck. I've also read from different sources that if you are a selfish or greedy person, the good luck charm of an opal doesn't work anymore. Hmm. There's also a story. um, It's from Sir Walter Scott's Anne of Geierstein. In Scott's novel, the Baroness of Arnheim wears an opal talisman with supernatural powers. When a drop of holy water falls on the talisman, the opal turns to a colorless stone and the Baroness dies soon after. In the movie, when Howard is thrown into the fountain, 
the stone also falls on the fountain. Mm. And later he's sitting at his desk and he's rubbing it and you don't see the iridescent colors really. It's colorless almost. And I think that's a direct reference to this book. And he dies soon after. Yeah, sounds like it. So due to the popularity of that novel, according to Wikipedia, opals began to be associated with bad luck and death. And in fact, after the novel came out, sales of opals dropped 50%. Hmm. Uh, The opals also believed to be a symbol of the evil eye. And yeah, black opals particularly are supposed to be lucky. So that's the opal symbology. Mm -hmm. Opals are also bad luck. In certain cases, which I'll get to in a second. So let's go to garnets. Garnets repel flying insects. They are antidotes to plague. They are a curse to those who have acquired it unlawfully. The reference to flying insects and plagues for garnets mm-hmm. is directly connected to the the plagues that are supposed to be represented in this movie as well. Yeah, so if he had just given it to Garnet, he would have been safe. Exactly. Which is um, true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It also helps the wearer to be firm and steadfast, which is like why it's supposed to be like, you know, whatever. Um, Anyway, let's get to Diamond because we have Wayne Diamond, a character who doesn't really matter in the movie. Like the ending would have gone the same. He's just like this kind of weird guy who hits on Julia. He feels like such a weird throwaway character. He's so weird, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have a name, but his, the the guy's Wayne Diamond. What do you mean doesn't have a name? Like he's called High Roller in the movie. Oh, okay. But he's the actor's playing Wayne. He said he calls himself Wayne in oh, the movie. Yeah. Well, anyway, he's, he's like playing himself, really. Yeah, he introduces himself as Wayne. So uh, diamonds are supposed to also bring good luck and ward off evil and protect against plague. Ironically, they are also supposed to be like about fidelity and marriage, whereas Julia is a mistress. However, the very interesting thing is is that opals are supposed to be bad luck unless you were either born in October. Or you wear them with a diamond. And Julia's good luck when she has the opal money only comes because of her safety with that, with Wayne Diamond. Mm-hmm. So I think that that connection is supposed to be there too. I just, I, I really like that. I think that's very interesting. Um, I'm sure that they looked into the superstition of, of, of gems. Because why wouldn't you if you're making a weird symbolic movie like this? I bet because I know Adam Sandler spent a bunch of time on 47th Street. No way those jewelers don't know this stuff. Right. Like, an opal is supposed to be bad luck um, to wear in an engagement ring. It's, like, the opposite of a diamond, basically. Yeah. It's, like, I know all the the luck and superstition around alcohol. I just think most of it's really dumb, so I don't repeat it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then kind of tangentially related to gems um, is Steinbeck's novel, The Pearl. The Pearl is a very famous novella by John Steinbeck. Um, it is. It focuses on a family of Native Americans. Um, one is a pearl diver. The father's a pearl diver. His child is bitten by a scorpion, but the doctor won't treat him because he's racist. Um, so he dives trying to find a pearl to sell so he can um, help his son. And he ends up finding this huge pearl. Um, and it ends up being very unlucky uh, and brings a bunch of misfortune to him. Um, and his son ends up dying. His son ends up getting shot in the head. And he casts it into the sea after all of this bad luck. Um, the thing is that he keeps holding on to the diamond and not selling it and not selling it, thinking like, oh, it's going to be like my next, like, oh, we'll be able to use it for this. So we'll be able to do this. Um, so very similar to this movie, it's about not about wealth, 
but about greed, about hoarding, really. Mm-hmm. And I also don't think that that was a, quite a coincidence. Um, I don't think that I'm the only person who's like thought of the Steinbeck connection to this movie. It's not as obvious, but it's definitely there. There's a bunch of symbolism. It's a good movie. The plot's pretty solid. The feeling of it works really well. I think the only thing we really wanted to talk about otherwise is we had arguments about each character. Yes, we did. Let's start. Damari. Damani. Damani, sorry. I will say, I didn't know anyone's names, really, because like it's loud and confusing. Yeah. Um, I think is pretty much exactly the same as Adam Sandler's character in this, but started from a uh, different background. Both are greedy to a fault, are bad to people, are uh, tough and unwilling to back down about things mm-hmm. and lie constantly. But Damani uh, has an in with people mm-hmm. and is making money off that um, and is willing to sell them trash. Whereas M. Sandler has the capital beginning coming from a rich family mm-hmm. and uh, is more just screwing them over by selling them something essentially worthless. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's really interesting the the similarities into what they're selling uh, because the fake watches look nice. Mm-hmm. But they have no value. They have little value. Yeah. Whereas, like, let's take the Furby necklace, Mm -hmm. for example. It looks awful, but it has value because it's a diamond-encrusted Furby. Yeah. So it's, like, like almost, like, contrapoints to each other. Yeah. And and they both kind of represent the different, I think, cultural differences between them. There's a lot uh, that, funnily enough, Kevin Garnett is the kind of focus point for saying how... Adam Sandler's character is willing to rip off uh, Ethiopian Jews. Yeah. Um, there's Damani constantly is talking about uh, the differences between Jewish and black culture. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly by saying Jewish guys are obsessed with basketball, which is a sport predominantly played by black men, which is very, uh, some humorous stuff with that. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I thought it's a variation on a theme. They're the same character. They lie about stuff. I don't know Damani's uh, addiction, but I bet he has one. See, for me, I think Damani is definitely put into a... He's in an interesting light. Sometimes, literally, like, the black light scene. Yeah, he's glowing. He's glowing orange. Like, reflecting light in a way that is kind of impossible, really, considering the color of shirt that... Adam Sandler, the Adam Sandler is also wearing like a kind of a, a bright neonish shirt too, mm-hmm. but he, he doesn't glow at all. Ever, no one else in the whole because he doesn't belong in the club. Is yeah, yeah. So I mean, he is given a spotlight in this movie to be a an antagonist to Howard's character. Mm-hmm. However, I think that Howard is extremely antagonistic to Damani. He constantly belittles him doesn't let him sell the watches, which, like you said, is a good business practice. You can't sell fake Rolexes on 47th Street without getting destroyed. No, I 100% get that. But Howard still let him have his watches in his safe and was giving them to people, passing them off as real Rolexes. Yes, to people that he didn't like. I I do get that. I'm not saying either of them are good. No. But, and I don't think Adam Sandler's character treats Damani well, but Damani is making money off of Adam Sandler by bringing in people who, and then he gets 6% of the sale. Mm-hmm. He makes 10 grand off the sale of the Opal, something that Adam Sandler feels like he worked for because it took him 17 months to get it, apparently. Yeah. Um, I don't really, you know, it's, it, it's work, it's not work. It's hard to say. Um, 
obviously this person has too much money, but it, it's interesting to see that when, when we have the chance to know, Damani lies, just like Howard does. Says he has the opal, doesn't, same thing Howard does. And then when he says, uh, because they don't want other people to see the fact that they're lying, Howard says, why are you even at the weekend's concert? And he goes, same reason everyone was. I wanted to watch the weekend. He didn't know about the concert until Howard told him. Right. Yeah, he fits in better and is like hanging out with Trinidad James and stuff, mm-hmm. which is Joe's favorite person ever, if you didn't know. I did not know that. Joe loves Trinidad James in a way I don't understand. Who's Trinidad James? Uh, he sang All Gold Everything or something like that. That's close to what the song was. Okay. All gold with my chain. No clue. Man, you really didn't work at a bar when... Nope. <laughs> in the year 2013. Because <laughs> that song would not fucking stop playing. Um, <laughs> then, Julie is also Howard in a different light. Okay. Is trying to get ahead by using whatever uh, abilities. I will say the main difference is Julie likes Howard. Yeah, I think Julia legitimately does love Howard. I think that if she were only like a gold digger, number one, she wouldn't have gone back to Howard when he was at his lowest point in the movie. Yes. Um, she got a, his name tattooed on her ass. Yeah. Uh, she, she is not like a gold digger. But she is a genuinely good person who's yeah. mixed up in a bad society. Yeah. But uh, I say she's a good person. She does belittle people for being poor outside uh, the club. She still sucks. Still sucks. Um, I and she, she was in a pretty emotionally like volatile. She uh, had just done coke, which I think is and then broken up with. Yeah, but she also like, oh, the scene of weekend is obviously weird and supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I actually like got to give credit to the weekend for that scene. Yeah, because willingly put himself in the light to be like shitty as hell. I thought the the same thing. Where I was thinking like, man, I fucking don't like the weekend. Yeah, and then I'm like, wait, no. That's a character in the movie. Yeah. The weekend's probably fine. I <laughs> like so fucking good job there. Um, but gets very into the gambling, use it uses people. That is kind of like an interesting take on the same theme of like greediness and trying to get ahead by like, you know, using her attraction mm-hmm. from the weekend. That's how she got ahead. She got ahead by using the Furby to take pictures of the weekend at a thing, which is using Adam Sandler's. She's basically using social credit in the same way mm-hmm. Adam Sandler's character is using actual money. See, I see her in a much more sympathetic light, though. Yes. I think that she is constantly taken advantage of by mm-hmm. people in the society. I don't think that she would have willingly, like, gotten into a relationship with Adam Sandler's um, character. Like, yes, she's in the relationship willingly, but I feel like he probably did the, like... I'm not as, he probably didn't show the same faces that he did, like, for his wife. You know what I'm saying? Um, And in addition, she's put into a power dynamic with The weekend. She's trying to make a a sale with him. Um, What is she, I don't know what she, she photos? She's a photographer? Well, I think she did, like, some modeling at first with him. I think that's how she got the original three. Yeah, um, she modeled too. Or she had sold the Furby. I can't, it was hard to say. No, Um, the Furby was a thing for the photo shoot. Yeah. And she did take photos of herself, which she showed to Howard. So it's probably modeling, yeah. But she also sells jewelry at... That's her day job, yes. Yeah. Um, but I think she says that she was trying to make a sale with The weekend, and that's why she was hanging out with him. That's what she says. Who knows if that was necessarily true, but I think she is put into a situation where 
the weekend here has the power dynamic. Mm-hmm. He is the famous person. He is um, someone who is buying things potentially from Howard's store. Um, she keeps telling him not to touch her in a playful manner. I get it, but that's I mean, hey, uh, if you got fifty eight episodes into this, when someone says no in a playful manner. It's saying no in a way that they're hoping not to make someone angry. Yeah. Um, And then at the casino, she has to go into the arms, not really literally arms, but she goes to the penthouse of of an old guy that she doesn't like that's been hitting on her to escape physical danger. Yes. So she's constantly being put into a situation where, like, she is at the whim of somebody else. Yeah. Um, And from where it started, she has... A female friend over at her house. Two had just left. Uh, Howard always talks about her partying. She's a young person kind of caught up in what money is. Yeah. Um, but she doesn't have any is the thing. Yeah. She lives in a apartment that Howard pays for. She works for Howard. And she doesn't have any ability to get stuff for herself. So while she she's thinking she's playing the same game, she's not. And she's actually... Not hurting anyone. Yeah. Be- and because she never lies in the movie, except for about the weekend for a second, she lies and then she gets a instant bad thing happen to her. She she wins and gets the money at the end. Yeah. Um, there is a thing in this movie. Anytime someone says something's going to happen, it basically happens. Yeah. Uh, if I don't get the money to you, I'll be dead by Friday. Stuff like that. And anytime Howard tells the truth, instantly something good happens to him. If, I didn't notice that. If he told the truth throughout the whole thing, he'd be fine. Yeah. Um, and there, there's a thing of, yeah, uh, I don't know why I'm so fucked up, that whole thing. Why I can't make the right decision. No matter what I do, I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Then Julia comes back to him. He's showing positive, true emotion. It's it's a He's sad and it's bad, but it's positive what he's doing, kind of admitting that he's in a place where he can't get out of and he doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. It's good in a normal movie. That would be where he learns to turn things around. Right. But because this is a good movie, (laughs) he doesn't. He digs deeper. Mm -hmm. And then the thing that really caught me is over and over, Julia, Julia, Julia. Julia. Julia keeps saying, I love you to Howard. And he never says it back to her because he is essentially using her, but Mm -hmm. also probably has some sort of feeling. I think his feelings are pretty much... What what's uh, the higher stock today? Can I get Dina? Can I get her? What's going to be easier for me? Um, he would prefer both at the same time. But he gets killed for telling his worst lie, which is right when he wins the bet, she says, I love you. And he says it back and then he gets shot in the head mm. because every time he lies, something bad happens. That's a very interesting take. And uh, yeah, that and the fact that when he gambles, it, it's sexual desire for him. So it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. She is a gamble. Yeah. All that stuff. You mentioned before, before we recorded that all of his gambling predictions come true. Like he hasn't lost oh, yeah. a gamble. One of the things that black opals give you, according to the mythology of, of opals, I guess it's just opals in general, is the power of prophecy. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, uh, in Howard's head, he knows that Kevin Garnett's going to do these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it showed through, he makes a bad bet, um, every time. Like quote, a dangerous quote, quote, bet, yeah. A dangerous bet. For people who don't know, the ball tip is not something that, it's basically random. 
at the start of the game, Kevin Garnett and someone else jump up and see who can hit the ball backwards to him. Yes, Kevin Garnett is huge, but if I I think I looked it up, and in those seven games that, that, in the series they're gambling on, three times he lost that, four times he got it. That is a risky bet because in a parlay, if any part of the bet fails, you make no money. So his bet to, for $155,000 to make $1.2 million, he needed several things to go right. And the first thing he did was double his money by saying he's getting the ball tip. That's... That's literally just uh, betting on a coin flip, which I've done. Coin flip, Super Bowl bet. It's fine. <laughs> but not that amount of money. No. And not in a parlay. That's It's wild to assume that. So he probably, you know, in his mind, it was destiny. He could not have failed. No time he gambles in the movie does he fail. And I find that interesting is mm-hmm. his downfall isn't that he can't place bets. I mean, he's reckless with his bets. But he gets them all right. And that's that's what I found mm-hmm. so interesting is to tell a story where someone wins the bet and loses. No, I mean, I I love the very Greek tragedy feel of this movie. And you you even mentioned there there are like Greek tragic elements like the story of Daedalus and Icarus. And in Greek tragedies, when there's a prophecy, there's not an escape from the prophecy. You can't get away from it mm-hmm. no matter what you do. It will come back and get you in a different way. Also in Greek tragedies, the the problem is fate often. Things are already written for you in the stars. And I think that that's kind of set up in a couple ways in this movie. Like if you look into the opal, you see the whole universe. As in everything's there. It is already set in stone. Literally. It's in stone. Hmm. So it's set up that way. At the end scene, you go through the, the, you go through a smaller moon and like through the gem again and then to the sky of stars. And... Like when we say things are written in the stars, it means destiny and fate. Um, And also the fact that this movie came out in 2019, but it's set in 2012. It's such a weird thing to have a movie that's not set contemporarily. It's not set in like, like right now, or it's like like a fake thing in the future. And it's not set very far in the past. It's set in 2012, which seems like such an interesting time when it doesn't matter except for the basketball games. The thing is, one of the people that you read a review of complained because they knew how the game ended. Yeah. The game didn't matter. That was already written in fate. You know what happens. Yeah. And I, I really liked that. It and, and the fact that it's set in 2012, it's almost unnerving. It's unsettling in a way to see like Kevin Garnett, who you know, like, okay, you know, we know Kevin Garnett. Yeah. The weekend, we know he gets big. Trinidad and James got big the next year. It's like, we know those things. Yeah. And they're there for us. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. Hmm. Yeah. Also, Adam Sandler took this because he thought it was really good, but it'd be hard to do. And then his wife made him do it. Yeah. Uh, very Stephen King type story. Um, I think he did such a good job on this movie. Um, he even changed his appearance. Like, I remember watching this movie and thinking like, wow, he looks so... The first time thinking, wow, he looks so old. It's been so long since I've seen him in something. He must have matured a lot. No. Yeah. Going up through, like, nope, that was, like, mostly makeup. Yeah. Um, and the way he acted with the, the, the teeth grinding and all that stuff. That, he was wearing fake teeth. Yeah, but he yeah. he was grinding his teeth and he was, like, licking his lips and he was moving. Uh-huh. I'm moving in my seat a little bit now. Yeah. But um, if you if people who uh, are listeners have not met an addict of any kind, including gambling, because um, I've met gambling addicts, mm-hmm. too. I've met alcoholics. I've or met even just, like, addicts. be around someone who has done some coke. Even if they're not addicted to that, it. Yeah, that... Um, it's a very similar I mean, affect. to be fair, cocaine 
is basically like a mini become an addict about something. Yeah. You can do cocaine and play foosball and they will look like foosball addicts. Like that's how that drug he, works. He does <laughs> such a good job with that. Yeah. Um, it, it, it struck me very much that way. Um, I made a joke that a friend of ours uh, who gambles a lot that <laughs> this movie reminded me of them. Why don't you say who this person is? Because it's not legal to gamble where they live. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> because gambling on sports is technically illegal. Although I will say, for like our fancy football group, the reason Benny couldn't be in for so long is because he played college sports and he would have lost his scholarship to join our fancy football That's league. why you just have to say, like, I bet on this game in Minecraft. Then you're good. Is in Minecraft a proper legal defense? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, stuff like that all the time. I did an act of sedition in Minecraft. In Minecraft. Let's, uh, let's, um, I don't want to say something that's going to actually, like, sound criminal or well, like, sound like I'm inciting a riot or something, but, like. <laughs> let's burn down all the police stations in Minecraft. It's stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, that you can do that. It's Minecraft. It's a game. Like, <laughs> let's stock weapons and get the DEA to raid our house in Minecraft. <laughs> oh, gosh. Let's well, plan the overthrow of the government in Minecraft. What are we watching tomorrow in Minecraft? Murder mystery. I You've seen this one. It seems like a movie that I should have seen. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to watch it. Yeah, brings back uh, the number one Sandler foil. Sandler foil. Jennifer Aniston is in it. Oh, gotcha. Okay, and, awesome. Uh, and if you can guess what the movie's uh, about, you get one point. Me? Yeah, all viewers too. Listeners, whatever. I, I think that it is about capitalism. Sorry, the answer we were looking for was it's a murder mystery. Alex, that's not nice. Murder mystery. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this movie's great. Uncut Gems is great. Uh, obviously, Adam Sandler's a good actor. He should have won an Oscar. Uh, He's going to make a real bad movie that I'm going to love because of this, because he gets angry when this happens. Yep. Um, and I'm hoping to write that movie. Yeah, me too. Um, uh, whether or not it'll be the movie we uh, present to you guys in a few weeks, who knows? Um, but you can figure out what we're doing at Laugh at Him Pod. How dare you take my... I, I will be setting a world record speed run of Hotel Transylvania 3 live. Eventually, my computer is fucked. It is absolutely fucked right now. The hard drives are fine. You know that this cat has been very expensive. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, viewers, this is a fun story I haven't told on the podcast yet, but I have told like well, all of my students. And now you get to hear it tomorrow during Murder Mystery. That's the mystery for tomorrow. Oh, okay. Where I know it is a long episode. We gotta end it. <laughs> ah, all right. Well, you like he said, you can find our podcast at Laugh and Pod on Twitter. You can also find our games at wannabegames.com. Now, if you are interested in playing a game that involves amped up tension and plans that can go wrong, I would suggest so here's the plan. Do you have another suggestion? I feel like we had a gambling aspect in one, right? Didn't we? Ten paces has a little bit of it. Uh that's just more a dice mechanic. Or you could do um, six six six, the devils and the dice rolls. Oh, that one makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. You 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 can get the power to win at gambling all the time, but you might accidentally sell your soul to the devil. Yeah. What up? Uh, you can also support us on Patreon at Patreon.com/slash Wannabe Games. But instead, you know, why don't you just go protest out in front of your local city hall or somewhere and give your money to a homeless shelter? Do that. 
Uh, and you can see me tweet about all the things that are making me angry this week at, at Joska. Uh, and you can see me talk about how all cops are bastards in Minecraft <laughs> at Kitty Crusade. Uh, take my wife, please, in Minecraft. Roblox wife. Don't you talk about my Roblox wife. <laughs> did, did it? Did that, and my ro- club penguin husband. Club penguin's dead. Don't you talk about that anymore. That's why my husband's dead. Murder mystery. <laughs>